Labor Day has passed, and now it's back to school. Welcome to First Online with Friends podcast. There's no place like art. Today, I ask you to join me in a discussion of our educational system. School is back in session across the U.S., and many students are starting to notice some changes in their classrooms. New laws have restricted teaching about race, history, and gender identity in more than a dozen states. And a growing number of books are being pulled from school library shelves. The New York Times September 4th, 2022 Sunday opinion section posed the question, what is school for? For learning to live together, developing citizens who will protect democracy, for promoting academic excellence, or wasting time and money? Is it for giving kids a shot at social mobility or for learning to express ourselves? As we rebound from years of disruption to education, we have an opportunity to think anew about what our schools do and what we want them to be. My guest today is Yvette Heiliger, playwright, actor, author, and educator. Yvette is a longtime activist for women in the American theater and was named a 2022 grant finalist for the Advanced Gender Equity in the Arts Legacy Playwright. I'm so thrilled to have her with me today to talk about some of these issues and more. Welcome, Yvette. Thank you, friend. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I think this is my first time on your show, is it? It is. It is. So <laughs> let's get started here. Congratulations, by the way, on your recent hire as a full-time faculty member at the American Academy of Dramatic Art. <laughs> Bravo. So on that note, so what excites you most about teaching and how would you as a playwright and producing artist and an activist and an author, how would you tackle that question? What is school for? Well, I think about my great grandmother. Uh, her name was Maddie, and she always bragged about her mother, who was a school teacher. And I think about the times that her mother was probably teaching, probably right after the period of slavery during Reconstruction, when um, African-Americans and former slaves were interested in learning and bettering their lives through education. So I think a little bit of the teaching bug probably came from my great, great, great grandmother. Wow. <laughs> so it, mean, it just means so much to me to carry on that legacy through my own work. Initially, I started teaching through my work as a playwright and producing artist. The plays that I write deal with social justice issues. I just was so excited to be holding a mirror up to society, as they say, through my work as an artist. And now I've started teaching, as you said, at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And it's so exciting to be in front of an international community of students 
who have come to the United States to to learn about the craft of acting. I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware of that. Oh, so we, you have. Wow. So you can really tap into new perspectives and, you know, push push boundaries. Good for you. Oh, that's this is exciting. We do have a large international community, but we also, of course, have our American students, you know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just know. so much fun to to be with them. Yeah. And so how are you going to or are you planning to? Well, I think you probably will intersect to open these minds through your social activism. Well, when I first started acting, I realized that I quickly had to start writing and and writing work for myself and discover the entrepreneurial spirit that lived within me in order to start getting work out there. Because as you know, you know, if you sit around waiting for the phone to ring, you're you're really going to be waiting. Here, here. (laughs) (laughs) We both know that. That's right. And so I just developed my entrepreneurial spirit and discovered playwriting. So it's sort of my commencement into the world of theater sort of began when I graduated from New York University as an artist. So so I'm saying all that to say that I'm encouraging my students to be students of the world, to look around them, see what's happening, see how their lives are affected by world events and the changes of of our society, because that's fodder for future plays that they may write or may participate in as artists. And I confess that as a teacher, I have my own little hidden agenda, which is to create better citizens of the world, to foster responsibility. And, you know, being an actor is not a vanity I don't think how it can be a vanity profession. You really are the conduit for the voice of the playwright who's hopefully writing plays and musicals and articles that are making the world a better place. Can you talk a little bit about how you do that in your work? Like what's the latest piece you're working on or a piece that you are, was particularly profound in terms of fulfilling that agenda? Well, I recently wrote a piece called Bedroom Farce Reloaded. And in it, I have a transgender woman, a gay man and his and his husband, African-American couple who are swingers. And basically, I'm looking at the construction of the bedroom farce and bringing it into the 21st century, examining sexual mores and traditions and busting them open and exploring those types of issues through the characters. I'm particularly proud of the trans character in the play. I consulted with an an actual trans woman who is an artist and consulted with her throughout the writing of the play and really tried to keep myself honest and responsible in writing a character that is not myself, but who is part of this project. I so relate to that. This so resonates with me because last week, One of my former students, you know, I was a high school theater teacher, and one of them was conducting this fundraiser in our local theater in Northport and for his to honor his dad. And I hadn't seen him since I'll say his name, Chris Messina and Edie Falco was there also. And to your point, I said to him, I'm like, I didn't even know that I thought you were mad at me. And he's like, you were one of my favorite 
teachers. And he said, I will never forget that we were creating an original play in our theater class. And he said, I was playing a gay student. And he said, I did all of the stereotypical, you know, the speech and the move and all of that. Mm-hmm. And he said, and you stopped me and asked me, all right, that's what we see on the outside, maybe. But what is the core of that person, mm-hmm. of that character? And he said, I will never forget that. And I share that story with so many times. To your point where you're talking about making, I loved what you said, be students of the world, create better citizens of the world. What's a story that you can share? Uh, for uh, myself, yeah. creating better citizens? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, well, you know, I just give so much credit and gratitude to President Obama. I worked very hard on his reelection campaign, and it really helped me hone my skills as an activist and learning how to use my own personal story to work on different issues. I give so much credit. Of course, I was a Girl Scout. And of course, I said the Pledge of Allegiance growing up in school. And of course, I had the influence of my parents in working on different political campaigns as a teenager, et cetera. But, you know, it was when Barack Obama was running for president that I really got activated in terms of that. And, you know, I was so excited to see the unveiling of President and Mrs. Obama's portraits that are now going to hang in the people's house, in the White House. I loved her speech. Yeah. You know, it just reminds us how, what a role model both of them served compared to the past. I won't even go there. Um, As teachers, we can push the envelope. All right. And I I don't know about you, but I know I got in trouble in the classroom. Uh, Because I I had kids reading books about subjects. As an English teacher, I brought in books that were cutting at Maya Angelou. You know, we read Toni Morrison. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in those days, that was permitted. And I got some flack, but it was important to show students the the vast array of voices and to make them aware of who these people are and what they stand for. And I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here because I know you're, you're the same way. And I know we're living in a time when those, when the, the freedom of even reading what you want to read yeah. is just being shut down. And you know what else upsets me is that those school board things where they're coming in and these are people not even from the community showing up at school boards and and attacking. What are we supposed to do? You know, I was reading, I was listening to the uh, news reports about Queen um, Elizabeth II, who passed yesterday. And I was thinking, gee, wouldn't it have been great if if she had issued or made some sort of statement about the effect of colonialism and the spread of the British Empire and how we're still reeling from the damage that was done 
because of colonialism. Perpetuating, yeah. I mean, it's just, and, and one of the pundits said something about how America is so fascinated with England, and he mused that perhaps it's because we have this fascination of someone having to reign over someone else. And that, you know, that's kind of in our DNA here in America, even though we are Americans. My The new play that I want to start has to do with the first, uh, I won't say Black, I'll say multiracial queen in the royal family, who was uh, Queen Charlotte. She was married to George, King George III. And of course, you know, here... Uh, we had our American Revolution and separated from them and all that. But I'm I'm really fascinated with Queen Charlotte. And I'd love to unpack that because she was queen during a time when the invention of race came about, the invention of whiteness and how that is superior. And it was used as a way to justify slavery over other people's. And so I'm. I, I thought about Meghan Markle and her and her marriage to Harry, and everything that they went through. And I said, "Gee, let me let me go back and look at Queen Charlotte because she, you know, she was of mixed race. She had a broad nose and thick lips. And she said, commented that she knows the English don't like her because she's not very pretty." Mm. You know, but that was the only way she could put. It. I mean, we we would have a lot more to say about why she, she wasn't like today, but because the notion of race and the invention of race was still so new, I don't know that she quite had words for it. But that's what my new play is going to be about. How you know how she was a chosen queen arrived in England, speaking German. Actually, she was born in Germany, but she's from the Portugal royal family. I'm really exploring that. And and I like the idea that you are focusing on a woman character. You know, as we are both members of the League of Professional Theater Women, and that's one of their missions is to promote and propagate role models for women of all races. And you were the one that started the Crowley Award. Remember? The Rachel Crothers yeah. Theater? Yes, which Rachel Crothers. Oh, well, that award is uh, to highlight an American theater woman who has contributed not only to the theater industry, but also to a common cause or a social cause so that the work in the theater industry and the work to better our world are sort of equal. And uh, she's achieved great heights in doing that. I'm very much interested in how, as artists, we can better the world and looking at artists who are doing that kind of behind the scenes work socially to improve. I mean, look at Jon Stewart, who's done so much great work for the victims of 9-11. You know, just artists who are lending their talents and their platform to advocating for others on behalf of others. You know, and on that note, what you just said, I saw A Strange Loop, the musical. I don't know if you saw it. I highly recommend it. And the young man who wrote the play named Usher, because he was an usher, you know, Mm -hmm. at the Lion King. And he talked about how he went about trying to write a musical about his uh, persona. The characters quote unquote, are his psyche and they come and they haunt him and they speak to him. 
to your point, this is what theater can do. It's not just about, you know, there were all kinds of people in that audience. I looked around and I made a note of it. All kinds of people. You don't have to be that person because what resonated for me was how we all try to get past that exterior and Mm -hmm. get back to the core of us being human. The fundraiser that I was talking about, they did a staged reading of Our Town. I mean, there was something like that was back in the 1930s that that Mm -hmm. play was written. And to this day, you know, we talk about being small town and yet the relationships and the idea of community and what we are. This is what we do as teachers, right? That's exactly right, Fran. And I believe that that's why this whole critical race race theory issue is so damaging because You know, if we don't tell the truth of our history, we're never going to be able to overcome it and to move past it and move beyond it. I learned that the Germans uh, not only apologized for the Holocaust, but they are paying reparations and they have a program in place to help restore the community. I think it's just, I would love to talk to someone from the German community to see how things are going and how the community is being transformed there because we need that here in America. Absolutely. And if we, if we have our, if we ban all the books and and uh, discourage public, public discourse, you know, it, it's not going to be good for us. It's, it's just going to, like, the, it's a disease that's festering. And, you know, truly, Fran, if they're going after journalists, yeah. you know, and people who are telling the real truth, not fake news, right? then they're coming after the artists next. Yeah. And that's what worries me, because in my play about Queen Charlotte of uh, Mecklenburg-Strelitz, I think that's the whole her whole name, won't be able to tell it because no one wants to hear that history or know that there was a, a multiracial queen who was the great, 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 great grandmother of um, William and Kate's daughter, Charlotte. We're such perilous moment in history. And, and uh-huh. we are. And it takes... Well, playwright and an activist and a brilliant mind like yours to open the hearts and minds of students. What do you got coming down the pike? You got you're thinking about this new play. You got something else exciting coming up, right? That um I've been lucky enough to contribute to two textbooks. One was called Performing Me Too, How Not to Look Away, which has been released earlier this year and talks about my work around Me Too. And the event that I put on here in New York to bring theater women together to tell their stories. And the second book just came out, The Children of the People, Writings by and About CUNY Students on Race and Social Justice. And basically that book looks at how the first president of the Free Academy, Horace Webster, conducted an experiment. And he says, the experiment is to be tried whether the children of the people, the children of the whole people can be educated and whether an institution of the highest grade can be controlled by the popular will, not by the privileged few, but by the privileged many. And so it looks like it looks at how the CUNY schools have handled race and if they looked, uh, lived up to their mission of making a school for the people, by the people, about the people. And of course, they they failed. 
they failed in some ways, I'm sorry to say. And so my contribution to the book talks about my experience in two CUNY colleges and how I experienced racism and sexism and even ageism, really, Fran, because yeah. I went back as an adult student. That's, to gonna be our, that's gonna be our next episode. Yeah. <laughs> so it is an experiment. That's what education is all about. Mm-hmm. And we keep testing and seeing what will best work with our students, education, educators, and playwriting and theater. You know, I always forget to say the, that it's important to entertain in the theater, but also being able to change and shape society is also important. I get kind of hung up on the social justice side of it and forget people do want to be entertained. We want to laugh and that's healthy, you know, and I always forget to say. Well, I think a bedroom farce, the title alone is hilarious. Okay. Oh, it's a great play, Fran. It's a yeah, great I'm Sure, I'm sure. All right, Yvette, thanks for giving me your time. I wish you the very best of luck in your new position. Thank you. Thank you, Fran. Thank you so much. Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by March Hare Media and recorded at Wheat Sheet Studio Productions. Mm-hmm.